This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Turn with me to 2 Peter, and uh, we're going to pick up on some interesting passages of Scripture. Okay, so I want to talk about some very important things tonight. I want to pick up with verse number 19 in, in chapter 1 of 1 Peter. This is where we left off last Wednesday night in our study. I don't know, it seemed like to me that Wednesday night Bible study has just come around again just like this. I mean, it's, it's so quick. I find myself up here doing another study, and it's just amazing. But what's even more amazing is the, is the incredible truths that we're picking up and learning. I will tell you, when, uh, when we get to chapter 2 here, and it's just right around the corner, I'm going to be sharing some things that I've never shared with you before. It comes from my own personal study, and I will talk to you more about that as we turn this corner. Peter is saying this in verse 19, We have also a more sure word of prophecy. What he's talking about here is the Word of God, the Bible, the Scriptures. Whereunto ye do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Now, I want you to look at this uh, because this is talking about uh, the word of prophecy, which is the word of God. Peter had a unique experience, and we were talking about this last Wednesday night, where Jesus himself took him to the Mount of Transfiguration. And uh, Jesus um, had a wonderful experience there with Moses and Elijah, Peter, James, and John. And we talked about how God would, in sundry times, would speak in audible voices. And in the experience of the transfiguration, God did that again. He did that in the garden with Adam. He did that at the Jordan when Jesus was baptized. And he also did it here in the Mount of Transfiguration. So God, at sundry times, the word says, he did speak in audible voices. But we also made a particular uh, we, we assurance or uh, we brought to your attention, that's a better way to say it, we brought to your attention that that's not how God works and speaks today. What Peter experienced on the Mount of Transfiguration and other people in the Scriptures was a unique happening, a unique situation. Peter was saying those particular times were exceptions, and he was very fortunate and blessed to be a part of those exceptions that God made. But what Peter's saying here is that what you have is really better than a rare experience or an exception that God primarily doesn't use anymore. He is saying that you have a sure word of prophecy. He's talking about the Bible, the scriptures. He's talking about the word. And, and notice what he says here in the middle part of that. He said, take heed. And I want you to look at that. He is saying, pay attention. He is saying, give it your 
undivided attention. And I also want to emphasize this, that you may have a house full of Bibles. That's wonderful. But the Bible itself will do you no good unless you open it and read it. But just not opening it and reading it, but it's opening it, reading it, and heeding it. That's when it becomes valuable to you. You have to, you have to obey what the Word says. And, you know, sad to say it, but it is true, I believe, in many cases, that a lot of people living lives today that are off of the path, so to speak, has long ago retired their Bibles. And that's a tragedy. I want you to look at this a little closer because there's a couple of spiritual things, spiritual truths in this passage. He not only talks about a sure word of prophecy, which is the Scriptures. He's not only telling us to take heed or give attention, but he says this, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. And I want you to notice that because this world in, in Peter's day and in this world today, we are in a dark place. You know it and I know it. He mentions this, the day dawn and the day star. And that gives us blessed hope. Listen carefully. Even though the world is in a dark place tonight, and especially our country, the good news, and that's the bad news, the good news is that we will not always be in a dark place. We will not always live in these conditions because according to the scriptures, and we believe it by faith, that Jesus is coming again. We believe not only is he coming again, but I firmly believe that his coming is soon. Now I want you to look at this day star. That's talking about uh, the one who brings light. That's what this phrase in the scripture means. And by the way, the last title of the Lord Jesus in the Bible, if you don't already know this, is the bright and morning star. That scripture is Revelation chapter 22 and verse number 16. And let's read that together tonight. The scripture says, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David and the bright and morning star. That's the last title of Jesus in the scriptures. And so when you read a passage like this, day star, this, in this particular case, this is talking about the Lord Jesus. So right now, yes, indeed, the world is a dark place. And when it comes to darkness, we know what the scripture says, that men choose darkness over light. In fact, there's a scripture in John chapter 3 and verse number 19. The Bible says, and this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. But I'm so thankful tonight that there's coming a day that will soon change all of that. What darkness will not be the rule of the land, that it will be the bright and the morning star. Now, verse number 20, look at this. Uh, it puts an extreme emphasis on our personal Bible study. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private 
interpretation. And that's why we find so importantly what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 15. He said, to study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so let me emphasize something. People can take, and I've said this a, a thousand times perhaps, I don't know. People can take the Bible and pertaining to their particular denomination, their particular faith and creed, uh, the ideologies and philosophies, they can take this Bible and pretty much force it to say whatever they want to say. They can, they can take the, the Bible and they can establish even doctrines, certainly traditions and faiths and practices. People can do that all day long. But here's the thing. People can force this book to say anything they wanted to say. And, and I firmly believe that recklessness with this book will certainly cause people to change it. When people take the Bible and try to force it to say something that it doesn't mean, and I'm going to, I'm going to reemphasize this in our communion service, and I've taught you well on it. There's probably not anybody here tonight that has attended our communion services that has not heard teaching. But when Paul was talking about communion, and he said, those that take communion unworthily, when he says, eateth and drinketh damnation unto himself, that's not talking about that word damnation is not in the context of hellfire. It's talking about the wrath and the judgment of God. And I emphasize that to say this, that when the word of God, when, when people try to force the word to conform to their ideology, when, when a person is prone to change the word, they are more prone to omit some of the word. And in the process of tampering with the word, we become very reckless with it. And so a simple lesson to learn is this. When you study the Bible, always try your best to remember this truth. The Bible will never contradict itself. So when you, when you set out to study the Bible, always keep that as the golden rule of study. The Bible will never contradict itself. In fact, there's what's called <clears throat> the law of first mention when you study the word. And that is really when something is first emphasized, in the word, I mean, going all the way back to Genesis, it pretty much follows that pattern all the way through from Genesis to Revelation. That's what's called the law of first mention. Having known that and understanding that, you have to keep in perspective, it will never, ever contradict itself. So when people try to force this Bible to say things that are totally out of context, you have to go back to that rule and understand that it never does it contradict itself. Never. All right, so now let's move on to verse number 21. For the prophecy 
came not in old time by the will of man. Now the prophecy is talking about the word of God, the scriptures. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So when people tell you, I don't believe the Bible, I don't read the Bible, because the Bible is a book written by men. Well, philosophically, theoretically, that's correct. The Bible was written by men. However, not just ordinary men. They were men. They were individuals and over 40 different writers in the Scripture. But uh, these individuals were moved by the Holy Ghost. They were inspired by the Holy Ghost to write. People didn't wake up one morning and say, you know what, I think I'm going to write something about birds today. And uh, we're going to talk about trees tomorrow and flowers on Thursday. That's not how it went. There, there was no set time or day or date when the Holy Ghost said to these people who wrote the scriptures, pick up your pen, it's time to write. And then God the Holy Spirit, being the third person of the Godhead, he would inspire them and they would write. Do you remember what, what Eli the priest told little Samuel when he was awakened in the middle of the night with his voice? He said, okay, after these three different occasions, he was saying, listen, the next time you hear this, you say, speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. And that's the way these, these prophets and these writers and those that wrote the Psalms and those whom God chose to write the word, when the Holy Spirit said it's time to write, I can imagine them saying, speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. And even if you study something like the book of Daniel, Daniel wrote something like this. He said, I write and understandeth not. He didn't understand what he was writing. But he was obedient to the voice, the Spirit, the Holy Ghost that was moving the Scriptures. None of these writers of Scriptures made it up. And, and listen carefully. When the Word was finally complete, when it was finished, it was something that was hewn out of the living rock of heaven. It was infallible. It was inerrant. It was infinite. It was indestructive. It was authoritative, and it was divine. It was given by the authority of the Word of God himself, given with divine inspiration and authority. Now, I want to share this with you as we go into chapter 2. And I mentioned something just a few minutes ago about my own personal study, and we're going to see this tonight. Because I don't want this to seem like a contradiction of verse number 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scriptures of any private interpretation. Some of the things that I'm going to bring out with you and for you tonight in chapter 2 is, is not based upon doctrine, and, and especially cardinal doctrine. I, I set the foundation of this teaching uh, on this very important truth, and that is this, that in my own personal study on some of the things that I'm going to share with you in these verses to come, if I'm wrong, because I've never taught this publicly before, I study all the time, and, and as, 
as I read the scriptures and I look in things from Genesis to Revelation, uh, there are certain things that I see in the scriptures, and I forget who it was and if it was last Sunday, if it was the Sunday before last, I don't know. Someone had a question about something, and I made it very clear that it had absolutely nothing to do about the particular subject that we were talking about. It had absolutely nothing to do with salvation. Salvation is and the things that are necessary for salvation is cardinal doctrine. Let me explain it this way. It would be impossible for a person to be born again who did not believe that Jesus was the only begotten Son of God. That's cardinal doctrine. Now, if a person says, oh, I believe in Jesus and he was a good man, well, if that's all that people believe about Jesus is that he was a good man, and you put your faith in a good man. There are a lot of good men that's been walking this earth, but there's never been a lot of good men that could save your soul. Only one, and that's Jesus. So you cannot be saved if all you believe about Jesus is that he was a good man. He was a good man. But a good man will not save you. You have to believe that Jesus was the only begotten Son of God. You have to believe in his virgin birth. You have to believe in the blood atonement. These types of things are cardinal doctrines, and it's impossible for a person to be saved who does not believe in cardinal doctrine. You have to believe in cardinal doctrine in order to become born again. The Spirit of God will bring your heart into harmonious acceptance of that. But what I'm going to teach you in these scriptures is from my own personal study, and it's not cardinal doctrine, which means this, that if I'm wrong in my study, it won't, it's not going to make me more saved or less saved. It won't make you more saved or less saved. In fact, we can agree to disagree. And we'll still be just as saved as we are right now. So this is not private interpretation that could be misconstrued and applicable to private interpretation of doctrine. I'm not doing that. But what I'm going to teach you tonight is my own personal study. And I'm not, I'm not considering this to be private interpretation as in verse number 20 it teaches us. So, having said all of that, you may have studied this particular text, chapter 2, um, in another way, in another light. And if that's how you are led by the Spirit of God, then so be it. It will not make you more saved or less saved. This, you don't have to believe my perspective to be saved if that makes any sense. Okay. So having laid that foundation, uh, we're going to get into some depth study of my study that I've not shared before, and I want uh, to make that very clear from the beginning. We will soon get to that in a few moments, perhaps. But in verse number 1 of chapter 2, 
Peter is saying now, he says, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in the damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought about them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Now, Luke, when you study his writings, he brought out, I think, some some of the, the same message. For example, I want you to see something in, in Luke chapter 6, and verse number 26, he said this, Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. So it, it not only happened in the days of the early church, we know that in the days of Elijah and so forth, it happened in Jeremiah's day, it happened in Jehoshaphat's day, and so here Peter reminds us that there's nothing new about false prophets. He is saying they're going to be everywhere. We have seen them. He says we have seen them in the past. We see them now in the present. He said they will be very active and dominant in the future. And the truth of the matter is the devil does know how to sow tares among the wheat. He knows how to do that. And so Peter's talking about damnable heresies and, and keep in mind that those kind of choices and those kind of declarations and messages and false teachings, they are brought in by choice. And according to Peter, damnable heresies are, the, are responsible for contributing to countless multitudes being deceived and through that deception end up spending eternity in hell apart from Christ. And it's a very liberal theology. Because liberal theology and damnable heresies, as Peter brings out in this text, damnable heresies, it denies all cardinal doctrine. That's why it was important for me to lay the foundation of, of the difference of what we're talking about in the very beginning of this. Liberal theology denies all cardinal doctrines of truth. And so, for example, let me explain it to you this way. In this denomination called the Jehovah's Witness, we have all been at some point or another affected by them in our life. We either know somebody, we've had them knock on our door. Uh, we, we have been uh, in arguments or we have, uh, we have contended with them at some point or another in our life. I don't believe that anybody here tonight is oblivious to the Jehovah's Witness. But here's what, here's what uh, the whole Jehovah's Witness, they deny the Holy Trinity. Okay, what is the Holy Trinity? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That is the Holy Trinity. The, the Bible says there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. Okay, so they not only deny the Holy Trinity, but they also deny 
there being a literal burning hell. Now you think about it. Peter's, Peter's talking about these damnable heresies. They also deny the deity of Christ. They deny his bodily resurrection. And, and probably one of the most compelling arguments of the Jehovah's Witnesses, they believe only 144,000 are going to heaven. Now, when, when you put that package together, it's describing exactly what Peter's talking about in verse 1, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Let me give you another one. The Mormons also teach that in eternity, everyone will evolve into a God. Now you think about this. What's, what's wrong with that ideology or what's wrong with that theology? That everyone that goes to heaven will evolve into a God into heaven. What's wrong with that? Well, first of all, you go all the way back to the law of first mention. You go all the way back to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. You go all the way back to the beginning. And the word says this, I am the Lord thy God, and thou shalt not have any other gods before me. The scriptures teach that there is only one God, one true God. So eternity is not going to be filled with a bunch of gods. And so that's, I, I give you two illustrations tonight, and we could go on. Mormons believe that Jesus and Lucifer were, were half-brothers. That's a damnable heresy. That's totally not true. But the world is full of those, and they, and they, can, they have the right to believe what they want to believe. But this is exactly what Peter's talking about. By the way, I will tell you this, that Mormons and the Jehovah's Witness both in addition to their supplements, use this King James. That's why I'm saying you, you people can take this book and make it say whatever you want it to say. So Peter is saying that people who promote damnable heresies will be swift, he says, to bring destruction upon themselves. But what's worse than that is this. People who push these damnable heresies and they reject the cardinal doctrines of the faith they are prone to bring not only swift judgment upon themselves, but they're prone to bring it in the church. And, and that's where the church itself, and I'm not just talking about this church, I'm talking about the church, the body of Jesus Christ. The church gets so disrupted with, with confusion, which, by the way, the Apostle Paul said that God's not the author of. So, in verse number two, let's look at this. He is saying, and many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Now, Peter knew that 
False teaching attracts a crowd. I, I'm amazed. I'm, I'm really blown away when I, when, when I study carefully religion as a whole in America, how all kinds of spookiness type of things can pack in thousands and thousands and thousands of people. People are attracted to that kind of thing. But this word here, pernicious, it's a word describing lasciviousness. And so understanding that, it's talking about a person who has abandoned all restraint, all restraint, and thrives on indecent behavior. That's what this means. And so Peter's talking about shameless, the shameless conduct of apostate teachers. Keep that in mind. Look at it again. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. All right. Now, in verse number three, and through covetousness shall they with framed words make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not and their damnation slumbereth not. In the Psalms, when you read chapter 1, there's a very unique question. Why do the heathen rage? And we wonder sometimes why God tolerates what he does and why he is so, in our minds and our opinions, so in a delayed reaction of judgment. But Peter is giving us great assurance tonight uh, that judgment is not something that God is going to be forever and eternally sluggish with. And he uses this word in verse number three, covetousness. And what he was doing, he was exposing people who were in the ministry to only advance themselves. That's what he's talking about. And I want to give you a couple of scriptures out of the book of Acts that gives you a very unique illustration, probably a perfect illustration that Peter was involved with. So I want you to see this in Acts chapter 8, and let's begin reading in verse number 9. I'm going to read verse 9 through 13. But there was a certain man called Simon. I emphasize this tonight. I want you to understand that just because you read the word or the name Simon, that doesn't always mean Simon Peter. There were many different Simons in the Scripture. And so in order to keep the Bible in context, you have to know which Simon that the word is in reference to. This, this is not Simon Peter. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip, 
preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also, but I, I want you to understand that this, this belief was not with the heart. He, he saw what was happening and he believed with his head and he began to conspire in his, in his perception of what was happening. He was saying, man, look at this. These people, they're calling on the name of Jesus and they're being set free. They're being healed. And he started now doing the math in his head and he was saying, man, I could make a killing doing this. People think I'm a God already. If I, if I could just muster up this stuff, think about how well I could better myself off. He had, he had the belief just like Lucifer. Lucifer doesn't deny the existence of Jesus. Neither did Judas. The scriptures say with the heart man believes. You can have a head knowledge of God and die and go to hell. But it's the heart. But look at this, look at this man. Then Simon himself believed. He didn't believe with his heart. He believed with his head. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered. Look at this. He's doing the math. Beholding the miracles and signs which were done. So look at verse number 18. Let's pick it up there. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, look at this. He offered them money, saying, Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, and I stop here and I'm over time already and I've got to speed this up just fractionally for a moment. That's why Peter is writing to us in 2 Peter chapter 2 because he remembers these particular days that we're reading about right now and he's writing from firsthand experience. He's in reference to what we're talking about in the scripture. But Peter said unto him, thy money perish with thee because thou hast thought. Now listen, do you remember when Jesus found the woman in adultery? You remember what he said to her? He said, go and sin no more. When Philip was in such a great revival in Samaria, do you remember what happened? He had to call for reinforcements to come and help him because so many people were getting saved. He even needed help baptizing all of them. It was a wonderful work of God and you could see the fruit of salvation. In this case, there was no fruit about it at all. This was no real revival. This man wasn't converting from Hinduism or what he was he was in this thing to advance his own personal self. And that's what this word covetous is deriving from. And Peter's telling us about it in Second Peter chapter two. But notice this. He said, But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter. He's saying this, there is absolutely no sincerity in what you're doing. There are ulterior motives here. You're thinking about covetousness. You're thinking about how to advance yourself. 
these people are truly becoming born-again children of God, but not you. You're believing with your head because you see the stuff and you want to buy the power of the Holy Spirit. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for the heart, look at that, is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thy heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness, covetousness, and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me. Oh, oh, he said, I'm in trouble now. He said, You have found me out. Pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. And so we have to stop here tonight. This is what Peter was in reference to in this word covetousness. Next Wednesday night, Lord willing, we'll pick up with the latter part of verse 3 and read the rest of that verse. And then we're going to get into some pretty uh, deep things. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.